Hey everyone, and welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, Blister's running editor. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Blister reviewer Gordon Giannini to break down some of the current happenings in the running world. Gordon and I dish on recent race results from March, including the Way Too Cool 50K, Chucking Up 50K, and the Barkley Marathons. I also talked to Gordon about Broken Arrow Skyrus' prize purse announcement and the return of the North American Gold Trail series. Then we end our conversation by trying to figure out just what Killian Janae is up to after leaving Solomon, his longtime sponsor. All right, let's go ahead and run through the news. All right, Gordon, what's up? Not much. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing well, doing well. I think I'm finally uh, adjusted to the time change, uh, although most of my runs these days are taking place in the dark. So I had to make sure, I always have to make sure my headlamp's charged these days, um, which is something new. I'm definitely a morning runner, so I'm, I complain a lot about that time change. Yeah, I can relate to that. I've always This time of year is always brutal. It's like, get the first couple runs, it's like, oh, it's starting to get light now. I don't need a headlamp anymore. And then it's just like, no, shut it down back to full night yeah but that well are you uh starting to run a bit more i know you're recording in in utah right yep yeah i've been getting back into the running side of things now that's kind of spring has officially sprung uh well mostly you know snowing a couple days ago but trails are starting to melt out the ski trails have pretty much uh closed out for the season so getting back over to running primarily Remind me of what you have on your calendar this year. I'm running the Logan Peak Trail Run in June, uh, just a local race, and then the Beaverhead 100K up in Idaho in July. Um, both of those are kind of build-up races for the Bear 100 in September. So that's kind of the, the big goal for the year. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think having 100 a year to focus on, I think, is is the way to go for, for most folks. I think splitting yourself between a few can get just like... Oh, so much work involved, so much like mental preparation. Yeah, yeah, certainly for me. I'm, one is probably more than enough for me most years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I admittedly don't race a ton. Um, just, I don't know, uh, never loved it. But I do spend quite a bit of time doing like bigger days in uh, the Sierra primarily. Then um, I train with, with folks that, that are uh, running races, I feel like, every every week so. I'm oftentimes like caught in between training cycles with folks. So like I've been running a lot with one of my friends who's training for like Lake Sonoma Marathon and then another one that is training for Madeira. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I've been uh, stretched pretty thin, been doing a lot of hiking and a lot of running. So I'm, I'm fit, but uh, not really going to use it for much. I don't think. I mean, just in time for the high country to start melting out. No problem with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's starting to melt out pretty quick too. I was uh, one of my buddies up in Tahoe was showing me pictures, and yeah, there's not a lot of snow left on the ground up there. Scary but exciting. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely cool. So I wanted to have you on today uh, to kind of kick around some current events. Um, it is spring officially, and there's been a number of early season races that kind of act as like rust busters for folks coming out of ski season. And I think we can kind of go through those race results and maybe make some predictions if you're cool with that. Yep, sounds great. Well, let's not start chronologically. There are two early season 50Ks that are really storied and tend to draw a pretty competitive field. The first one being Way Too Cool, which took place on March 5th in Auburn, California. And the second being Chuck and Nut 50K. 
um, which occurred on Saturday. Turn your attention to Way Too Cool. It's it's 30 second running. It's a really, really fast course up in um, the trails near Auburn. It actually oversects with a lot of like the Western States course, which is really cool. And I know that folks that are, are signing up for or into the big dance oftentimes uh, toe the line at Way Too Cool um, to kind of get some practice in on those trails. Uh, have you ever run up there? No, I've never run in that area. Um, I'm planning to get out there this summer for states, not to race, just to hang out. So looking forward to checking it out, but never been up there myself. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think the contrast in temperatures makes the trail look completely different this time of year versus uh, around western states. The trails up there, when they get wet, they get really, really sloppy. Uh, this year, I managed to uh, drive up with some friends and, and we watched, went for a run and uh, it made for some really fast times because it, it was like raining slightly, but the mud up there was pretty tacky. Um, so I, I saw a lot of folks out in like road shoes. Um, it's a really cool like point to point run, really great community. Uh, as I said, it's old, uh, which <laughs> makes for some fun traditions in this sport. Uh, but turning to the women's results, MK Sullivan crushed it. Uh, she coaches uh track and field or cross country i believe at unr uh nevada but ran 345 there which was i think only like a few minutes off of the the course record um and she was followed by ashley brasovian in 404 and uh tabor shoal in 409 so there's like plenty of leg speed up in uh, the front of the pack there um it was fun i was i was chatting to mk after the race and she was pretty stoked i think uh it's always good to get like a, a victory this early in the year um set set yourself set yourself up for some podiums um anything stand out on the women's side for you yeah i mean i think hey it was awesome to see mk crushing it like i think it's always fun when uh coaches are also just crushers on the trails themselves um and then a kind of uh funny like small world thing so Tabor Scholl, uh, it's from Colorado. I think she ran for Kremling, I want to say. Um, and she's around my age and was like one of the main rivals for our fastest uh, female distance runner on my high school track team. <laughs> so I like, you know, saw her running around all the time in, in high school and then like kind of hadn't heard her name since. So I was rad to see her come onto the, the trail side of things. I'm pretty sure that was her first 50K and clearly lots of potential there. So it'll, yeah. be, it'll be fun to see where she where she goes after that. I think she ran at Boulder. Um, at least yeah. she was wearing some, some Boulder gear Yeah, uh, when she came flying through. I was at like the last aid station, like a a mile before the finish and they had uh, the aid station uh, workers had this like a heaven themed gate that you could run over and a hell themed gate. And they just lose their minds when uh, runners would want, run through uh, either one. I think she chose the heaven one. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 She had some crazy awesome results from, from CU as well, both on the track and cross country side of things. So yeah, it's like, I feel like that's the, one of the things we're seeing more and more in the sport is, you know, people coming out from a track cross country background or a road running background and running really, really fast on trails. So it's, it's always fun to see how those people fare. Yeah. And they're also like hopping directly into trails sometimes too. Yeah. Um, whereas I, I think in the past it was like, Oh, I don't know if I'm like fast enough to, to make it on the roads. I'll just like <laughs> come beat up some slow trail runners. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think there's, there's, Definitely more of a uh, a direct leap happening in the sport, which I think is 
makes for some really cool competition. Yeah, it was it was good to see those women crush it. Uh, on the men's side, uh, Tim Tolfson ran close to course record time, three thirteen. I was on the course like right by the finish, and he came just like blistering out of this corner and looked like he could have run another thirty miles. That dude's a stud. Um, he's running Western States later this year too, so I think it was a good tune up for him. Eli Hemming, who was a former triathlete, was three minutes back in 316. And then Ryan Becker was two minutes back of second place in uh, 318. Um, so, again, just really fast times on that course uh, in a really competitive field. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was sweet to see Tim crushing it. I think it would be awesome if he could knock it out of the park at Western States. Yeah, it's just, it's so fun having all these races where it's so tight at the front. Like, I feel like the stereotypical ultra running things. It's like, oh yeah, you know, they're kind of cool, but they're not fun to watch because everybody's like, you know, somebody staggers across the line and then like two hours later, it's like, oh, here comes second place. So it's it's awesome to have these these super tight fields on both men's and women's sides. Uh, yeah, it's it's just cool to see how, how far the sport has come as far from a competitive standpoint. Yeah, I think it, it definitely speaks to the, the health of the sport for sure. And these are Tim's home trails too. So he's got a little bit of an advantage. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a great scene up there. I think, uh, I, I don't think way too cold took place last year and I'm not even sure if it took place the year before I could be wrong on that, but, uh, folks up in Auburn in the cool area, uh, are like huge fans of the sport and they always come out and support regardless of whether or not they know someone that's running. Um, so it was, it was really cool to see. So the next race we had was at Chucknut 50K, which took place this past weekend up in Bellingham. Again, another really historic race. Uh, it's been around for 28 years. It's got around 5,200 feet of climbing on some pretty burly trails. I took a trip up to, to Bellingham about a month ago. And, you know, it's classic, like Pacific North, Northwest, like rainforest. But when those trails get wet, which is most of the time... <laughs> they can really slog you down. I went for a long run up there and I was absolutely wrecked by the end of it just because of how much like mental focus and like dexterity it takes to, to run with any kind of effort on, on really loose greasy trails. So again, like really stacked field, just like in way too cool. Uh, they put on a great race up there uh, on the women's side. It was some of the fastest times in course history. I think like if you look at the top 12, um, I think there was like at least 10 women under 430, which is like bonkers on that course. Starting at the top, Ladia Albertson Junkins won in 410, which is very, very fast. Uh, she signed up for Canyon's 100K later this year. Um, but I think this was her first race since giving birth, which is really impressive. She was followed by Kimber Maddox out of Bend, uh, three minutes back in 413. So it was a, a Brooks 1 2 finish. Uh, which is is always nice because Brooks is has a strong presence up in Seattle. Uh, in third place, uh, Jasmine Lothar uh, finished in four fifteen. She's a, a new name to me. I don't know too much about her, um, but running you know within five minutes of a win is impressive as well. Uh, two minutes behind her was Emily Schmitz, who I think was first American at OCC either. I think it was last year, actually. Uh, I, I know she spent some time abroad. And then behind her was Ellie Pell in 421. So again, just really, really 
like close competition up front, which I think, again, referring back to what you mentioned, is like really, really cool to see and it makes for exciting spectating, which which is important to our, our sport for sure. Uh, did you, uh, anything stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> broken record here, but the seven minute time gap from fourth to first, it's like, that's so cool. It was also kind of fun to see that uh, both the first and third place finishers are planning to run canyons and like, you know, golden ticket races, Western States. It's fun to think about these folks mixing it up there as well. Um, also, I saw that uh, Lavia had a 31st place at Western States in 2019. I'd be interested to see if she could like, you know, turn it into a redemption year kind of thing. She, uh, you know, puts it together, Black Canyon gets in and then could definitely be competitive at the front of Western States if you're running 410 on, on that kind of course. So it would be cool to see where she takes it. But yeah, that, that was an awesome race. It's so fun to have that many folks so close together. Yeah, yeah. And from what I read, uh, the course was, was pretty fast. I don't think it was like too, too wet. I think that's why you see a lot of these really, really quick times, um, as well as, you know, people who've been training for so long over the, over the winter. Um, it's a fun race to tee up for sure. Um, turning to the men's side, we had Adam Peterman just run away with it. He won by, I think like 10 minutes, almost 10 minutes in, in 324 and set a new CR. He stole the CR from Max King, who set it back, I think in like 2017. And anytime your name's mentioned with Max King, like, you know, you're fast. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he won by, as I said, by 10 minutes and set the course record by, I think around 10 minutes as well. Um, I know that there was some changes to the course, so it might've been slightly shorter, but still like super, super impressive. Um, we'll get back to Adam. Uh, but Anthony Costales finished in 334, followed by Drew Holman. Also in 334, he was like right on his heels. And then uh, Stephen Kirsch finished in fourth in 337, followed by Tyler Green out of Portland in 349. And I got a shout out to uh, Ryan Smith. Uh, he's the first master in uh, 344. That guy like amazes me. I think he crushed uh, Hard Rock last year and he's in his 40s. Just super consistent runner. Um, yeah, anything stand out to you? I like the Ryan shout out. He's such a cool dude. Yeah. His hard rack last year was just, I think, I mean, it was not surprising, but it was also cool to see Adam just totally knock that out of the park. Um, and like, yeah, you know, it's, it's slightly shorter course, but he's nine minutes ahead of Max's course record. Like he was going way faster, you know, regardless. And like, talk about people will be fun to see mix it up at Western States. If that's, you know, if that's his plan that I think that can be such a fun race um, to, you know, see him in the mix there with all the other fast guys that are coming back from last year. So, yeah, I mean, it was awesome to see him like not a surprise with all the results he had last year, but it's cool to see that he's still on that trajectory. Yeah. I mean, you look at his performance last year, he won speed goat and then, turned around and won JFK 50 miler, which is like, you. I don't think you could find like two different style races. And did he come close to setting the CR at Spigo? Or did um, he? I, I'm not sure on Spigo. I think he was really close at JFK. And then he yeah. also had a second at Pikes Peak Marathon in between those. So it's just like, yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's nuts. I think he's like 26. So he's like in our sport, That's that's still... Still pretty young, yeah. really young. 
yeah, I'm like he signed up for a Canyon, so I'm I'm excited to see what he can do there. I think that that'd be a good course for him. Although it seems like every course is a good course for that dude. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem to matter too much. Yeah, we're we're a broken record here for sure, but it's it's cool to see all of the top men, at least the top five, finish within you know. 15 minutes of each other yeah yeah and if you, you, know, um, if you take out adam then they're all within like a few minutes to a couple seconds of each other in the case of uh anthony and drew so rad yeah would you ever run that race it's it's definitely on the radar i think i've struggled with races this time of year in the past because i'm usually kind of like just coming off a of ski season and maybe still a lot of the really you know bigger uh, nordic marathon type races are around this time of year too so if i I try to do one of those then it's kind of off the table but um such a both i mean honestly chucking out ends way way too cool or just like such classic races they're definitely definitely high on the list yeah yeah i think i would i'd probably uh put on a bit for either one of those just to like be a part of that scene um you can really feel the energy when you get up there but i i ran the middle section of the uh chucking out course when i was up there and uh there's this section that you go along this ridge. I don't know how Adam Peterman like was able to like maintain the pace he did over that section because it's like, you know, you're practically on all fours on parts of it. There's like roots galore and rocks that are feel like they have grease on them. Yeah. Um, so it's even more impressive once you've actually like been up there and running, yeah, totally. uh, to see those times. Totally. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I think those are the, the two kind of season openers that I, I look to. Um, and try and like you know get some information for how like the rest of the year will play out with with folks um who are you most excited about in either of these two races on the men's and women's side for like the rest of their year oh man let's see i think on the women's side i'm gonna give a shout out to Tabor just because i like you know have that connection (laughs) uh and i think yeah, it's just it's always fun when people come onto the scene for the first time, and I'll be really interested to see what else she's doing this year, and like if she's trying to shoot for the longer stuff or just stick with you know shorter, faster races. And you know, it's like the learning curve and you're first starting out on these things is so steep that if you're coming third in that fast of a time on your first 50k, I think there's you know it's it'll be really cool to see where she can go. And then on the men's side. Uh, I think it'll be sweet to see how Tim stacks up at Western States. Yeah, I mean, he's he's such a great, great, like, ambassador for the sport and just athlete to follow generally. So I'm really excited to see how he does. And then from Chuck and I, I yeah, I think if, if Lydia ends up at Western States, that could be a really fun story to, to follow, see if she can improve on her, her performance there in 2019 and kind of keep the momentum rolling. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm taking the boring answers for Chuck and up, but I mean... Come on, like you got to be excited for the potential to have Adam uh, at Western States if he if he gets a golden ticket out of Canyons. Um, like I, I just think that would be such a cool race. It definitely suits his running style. It seems like again, like maybe everything does, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think he could run really, really fast there, and that would be pretty sweet. Yeah, I I think I I'm in line with with all of those. Um, I'll also say. MK Sullivan. I'm, I'm excited to see what, what she does the rest of the year. I don't know what else she signed up for apart from the Lake Cinema Marathon, uh, but she just has so much like raw speed. I, I wouldn't be surprised if she, she ends up on on uh, a few podiums moving forward. And then um, Drew Holman, my guy, uh, he used to uh, 
come to a bunch of uh, San Francisco running company group runs and uh, yeah, set the pace for, for the lead pack on those. And those times got gnarly. I know that like for a lot of folks that uh, for a lot of like of the, the pros that would show up to those group runs, they would have to like <laughs> pencil into their, their training logs that like Saturday morning was going to be a workout, uh, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, but not super sure what he has lined up either, but uh, he came in second last year at, at Western States, and I think he's got so much potential um, as an athlete. All right, so now for something completely different. Uh, <laughs> we had uh, the Barkley Marathons take place on March 8th this year as well. Yeah, it was, again, like like every year, uh, an absolute like, suffer fest. Again, I don't know how many years in a row this has happened, but the course won. Uh, no one finished. What was interesting about this year is that Laz, the race director, blew the conch like three weeks before when the race traditionally takes place. So it caught a lot of people off guard. Uh, And for those unfamiliar with the Barkley Marathons, the the race director decides when when the race starts and blows a conch an hour before it starts and then lights a cigarette to to send runners on their way. Gordon, do you know much about Barkley's? Uh, I mean, uh, as much as your your average ultra running yeah. nerd, <laughs> I'm I'm always entertained by Barkley just because it seems like that's the one race that everyone has heard about. So it's like as fine as soon as all my non running friends find out that I run ultras, they're like, "Oh, so have you done Barkley?" It's like, yeah, no, but yeah, I mean, it's like it's a it's such a ridiculous event. Let's be honest, like you know, the for the uninitiated, five laps roughly allegedly around 20 miles each lap but they're probably more and it's pretty much all off trail it's not a marked course you're not allowed to have any kind of technology the race director labs gives you a, a timex stopwatch and that's the only piece of gear you're allowed to carry technology wise basically the way that he keeps track of whether or not people are completing the loops is you have to find a book on each loop and they have really great titles like i don't know like heart of darkness and like you know, pain and suffering related titles, which I think is hilarious. Uh, and you have to rip a page out of the book. Um, and at the end of the lap, you give him all of your pages. And that's how he knows if you stayed on course or not. Um, and there it's a, I believe it's a 60 hour overall cutoff. And it's still only, I want to say like 14 or 15 people have ever finished the thing. So yeah, it's just absolutely absurd. But it's always entertaining to see what comes out of it each year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love how they're not allowed to use like GPS watches or anything like that. No one knows like the actual distance they've covered. So there's like estimations that five 20 mile loops, it's a hundred miles with give or take 54,000 feet of climbing. But uh, you know, if you get lost, you could, you could easily add on to that. Yeah. And 55% of the races end with no finishers. The five loops are, done in alternating directions so it's not like you're you get used to the course at all it's yeah it's it's fun to follow and i think like the netflix documentary definitely like put it on put it into the mainstream for sure not something i would ever really consider doing but i applaud uh the folks that that are willing to to make the trek down to frozen head state park in uh wartburg tennessee in like ostensibly the winter do you know what inspired Laz to create the race? I feel like I've heard it, but I, I don't. I guess. So there's a prison on the course. and That's right. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, and I think part of the course like goes through parts of the prison, which is kind of terrifying. 
but Laz was inspired to create the race when James Earl Ray, the man who assassinated Martin Luther King, escaped from the prison and was recaptured eight days later. And he had only traveled 12 miles uh, from the penitentiary. Um, so I think <laughs> that adds to the lore of, of that race. And I think it's a cool part of our sport for sure that there's like all these kind of strange traditions and eccentricities. Um, but I don't know like how to take it like super seriously sometimes um, just because of like all of the weird quirks. But that's, that's why you love the sport at the end of the day. So there were some notable entrants this year. Uh, Courtney DeWalter um, started as well as Harvey Lewis, who is the Biggs Backyard winner. Um, another one of Laz Lake's races, which we can maybe talk about uh, later or some other time. Uh, and then Carol Saab, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, who at one point had the fastest known times on both the Appalachian Trail and the uh, Pacific Crest Trail. He started as well. And uh, I don't know if you saw, but there's a really, really great account of um, his experience on his fourth lap of the race where I think it was like, you know, right along the cutoff. So he must have been. 40 something hours in and he was found talking to a trash can uh, on the side of the road, just completely incoherent, like hallucinating. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's like, I mean, you know, and you're saying like, Oh, it's kind of hard to take Barkley seriously sometimes. It's like, yeah, I think that's kind of the point. <laughs> like, you know, this is, that's exactly that kind of story is like why this race is so fun. It's like, yeah, no, nowhere else do you find people wandering off course and talking to a trash can. Uh, I also love the, you know, the way he got back to the finish line is somebody called the sheriff on him because, you know, it's like a crazy dude talking to a trash can in the middle of the night. And so the sheriff drove him back, like no problem, drove him back to the finish area um, and got a selfie with Laz, which I also just think is great. It's a, it's a great picture. You should go look it up if you haven't seen it already. So, yep. Never a dull moment. Barkley always always delivers the most entertaining stories. <laughs> yeah, and the way uh, Laz has decided that you end your race um, you, when you DNF is uh, you tap out and they play uh, taps from a trumpet just so everyone knows that you are no longer competing, um, which, yeah, I think is just a brutal way to go. Um, yeah, so good old-fashioned public embarrassment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing like it. So while there were no finishers, um, Jasmine Paris, who's a badass, uh, she's a fell runner from the UK, uh, who has won Montaigne Spine Race, which is like a 268-mile race in the UK. Uh, she ran, won it outright and set like a new CR uh, while she was at it um, while breastfeeding, it turns out. And she also has like a top 10 finish at UTMB in 2016 and is the Bob Graham round uh, FKT holder, which is another pretty, pretty infamous route in the UK uh, and the, the fells over there. She completed a fun run, uh, which is three loops of the course, which is, I guess, a, a consolation, um, but super impressive. I think she, she's been compared to, to the uh, to Courtney DeWalter a ton, but I mean both of those athletes are incredible. I I don't know what else she has on her calendar this year, but I will be I'll be tuning in because that's wildly impressive. Yeah, that was that was awesome. I mean, 
like you said, first first female to finish with fun run in over ten years, which is awesome. And then also, it's like I love that uh, Barkley kind of highlights these sometimes less well known international runners. Um, like I, I definitely heard Jasmine's name before, but it's you know definitely not as much of a household name as Courtney, say for instance. Um, and then you know she shows up and just crushes. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just like, it is such a, a niche and unique event that it's always really cool to see the different folks that it kind of brings to the top, um, who maybe aren't usually like, yeah, as well known in, in other races. Have you ever followed the live coverage of it? Yeah, I didn't this year, but previous years I have. The, the one Twitter account of the guy, uh, I think his name's Keith Dunn. He's like the go-to source. He's like the Adam Schefter. If you follow football, just like constantly tweeting out live updates. I love it. And I don't think he like, I, I don't follow him, but I kind of tune in to his, his feed uh, during the race. But it's just another one of these kind of like weird twists of that, of that whole scene uh, yeah. that makes that race just like so entertaining to, to talk about at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the only way you really get to hear about Barkley is, you know, as it's happening, is following Keith Dunn's Twitter account. It's like no other, you know, super prominent race like that is, is going to give you that kind of that kind of entertainment. So, yeah, I know that in the past, Laz has been um, pretty protective over like letting people film there and letting people like train on the course, stuff like that. Although I think you can go and, and train on that course if you'd like. Um, I think it's just a state park, but, but still I was like trying to think about what I would do to prepare myself for that. And I don't know, like, I, I really don't know other than get really, really proficient at using like a mapping compass and then work on like not sleeping for several days. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because I, uh, I don't know. I think ultra running generally is much more of a, it requires a lot of different skills beyond just running when you compare it to a you know, traditional road marathon or something. And Barkley is just like the absolute epitome of that where it's like, you got to be fit first and foremost, because otherwise you're, you're just going to be trashed, but that's definitely not enough. <laughs> like the navigation thing I think is huge. And yeah, in the in whatever weird world I would ever consider running Barkley, I would definitely be just like map and compass navigating everywhere <laughs> to try and get better at that because uh yeah man there's so many so many horror stories of people getting lost and it seems like that is more often than not what what ends up taking people out yeah yeah oh man maybe one of these days although like i've heard the application process is like equally as <laughs> as insane i think you have to yeah don't you have to mail as a license plate or something like that. Or I think you have to bring him a license plate at the registra registration. Right. That's what it uh, is. Yeah. And I, I have no idea. It's like you can only get in if you're, you know, someone who has the link to the application or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a process for sure. <laughs> yeah. So the next item I had was uh, looking forward at um, uh, some races this summer. Uh, Broken Arrow Sky Race, which takes place in Palisades, Tahoe, and offers a uh, 56K, 26K, and VK uh, over a three-day weekend, um, announced that they are awarding, uh, or I guess collectively they're having a, a, what is it? I think it's like $50,000 uh, 
uh, for, split amongst their prize purse, which is a huge amount. And I think that's noteworthy because it's a really good sign that these races are, are beginning to reward the com- their competitors a bit more. I think it like helps the sport grow, helps the races be more competitive. Uh, yeah, so the 56K and 26K winners will each get $5,500 each, which is quite a bit of cash. And the VK winners will get 1000 bucks, which I think is well worth the amount of suffering that goes into running a VK super hard. They've also announced that they're adopting a policy to facilitate uh, transgender participation, which is like amazing. Uh, and they've partnered with uh, Clean Sport Collection in addition with WADA uh, to combat doping in sport and are prohibiting anyone with uh, who has been caught doping in the past from competing, at least in the uh, elite category. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things there. Uh, one, I think it's awesome to see, like you said, races offering bigger prize purses. Uh, one of the things that's really like kind of unique and weird about ultra running is like we don't have any kind of formal championships really you know like usatf kind of tries but it's like not actually that big of a deal compared to um you know a lot of other races and they're kind of de facto championship type events like western states or utmb but it's still really rare where you get races that bring together like all of the best ultra runners in the u.s or something like that and definitely, like, offering these huge prize purses is one way to try and do that, which I think is really good for the sport. Um, it just, you know, makes it more competitive, makes it more exciting, and also gives people, like, a, you know, something to, to go spectate, you know, on their calendar. Be like, oh, yeah, Broken Arrow is going to be a big deal this year. So, I mean, I'll be really excited to see whether or not that works. Um, I know Run Rabbit, the Run Rabbit Run 100, has a huge prize purse. Um, and they still don't, they definitely get a strong field every year. Um, but it's nothing like Western States still. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out with Broken Arrow, uh, particularly since it's a shorter distance and very different, you know, discipline. This is sky running. Um, but yeah, I think that's awesome. And then also, I think it's great to see races starting to adopt some kind of anti doping policies. Um, at this point, I feel like most of them honestly pretty much don't have any teeth still. Um, but it is cool that, you know, they're just at least trying. And it's like, we got to start somewhere. That's another issue that's just going to be so hard to, to navigate because there isn't any major like governing body or anything in ultra running that can come in and regulate all these races. So I don't know. It's, it's you know, I'm sure if somebody who hadn't gotten caught doping in the past decided they wanted to dope up and win 50 K or whatever. Um, they could still do broken arrow and not get caught, which is unfortunate. Um, but it's good to see that races are at least aware of that and, and trying to, to work towards that. So, yeah, I think I'm not like nearly enough informed to, to talk about anti-doping policies in sport, but I do think it is just something our sport needs, uh, in order to be taken like seriously. Uh, and also just to like to keep the kind of ethos of the sport intact. Yeah, and I think like the the honor system is great, but at a certain point when there's 50k on the line, uh, you know, people might be tempted to 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 break some rules for sure. Um, yeah, but yeah, my coach Jason Coop put out a really interesting set of three podcasts. It was a while back, but they kind of went through all of the different. 
uh, avenues that people have tried to address doping and ultra running. Um, and it was, it was really interesting because it kind of highlights the, the various pitfalls and also provides some ideas on ways to move forward that I think were pretty interesting. So I'd recommend people check that out if they're interested in learning more about that. Yeah, I think something that, that Jason definitely hits on is that, like, it's one thing to institute um, these policies, but you need to be able to, like, educate your competitive field on, like, what to do and what not to do in order for those to work. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I second that. I, I would recommend um, Jason as a resource for that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think what's cool is that the 26K version of the uh, Broken Arrow Sky Race is included in the North American Golden Trail series, which is making its return. Uh, I think the global kind of series attached to Solomon, uh, Golden Trail series attached to Solomon took place last year, I believe, in Europe. But there's now a North American version um, takes place across the U.S. and Canada. Uh, I believe something similar was run pre-pandemic, I want to say. And it was really cool to follow. Uh, so that series kicks off with the Broken Arrow Sky Race um, in Palisades, Tahoe, uh, the 26K version, as I mentioned, and then moves to uh, the Quebec Mega Trail, which is a 52K uh, in Canada, and then the Whistler Alpine Meadows 50K after that. Um, and then it goes down to Colorado for the Pikes Peak Ascent and culminates in... Uh, Flagstaff Sky Peaks 26K. Um, and the way that works is that there are four qualifying races, Broken Arrow, Quebec, Whistler, and Pikes. And the top two men and women uh, from each of those races will compete in the Flagstaff Sky Peaks 26K championship. And then the top three men and women uh, in the Flagstaff Sky Peaks 26K uh, will get a chance to compete on an international stage uh, in uh, Madeira in a five-day race um, competing against, you know, the likes of, of what Europe has to offer as well as uh, the rest of the world, um, which is exciting. I think, obviously, during COVID, that was not a very practical event to hold with all the international travel, but uh, it seems like, like we're back. And uh, I'd be really interested to follow this just because of how it is. It does cater towards, like, shorter distances. So you just get so much speed up front on both the men and women's side. Yeah, I think it, it kind of addresses what you said about not really having like a, a structured like competitive season, I guess. Uh, I think the ultra runner of the year voting um, helps remedy some of that, but it's cool to see almost like a, a March Madness style, like, you know, grand finale type competition take place. I think it's, again, really good for the sport. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's also cool to have a you know a high-profile series like that that does highlight the shorter distances because um, I think a lot of times trail running kind of just gets absorbed into ultra running, and everybody's like, oh well, you know, if you're not you know winning hundred milers, then like who cares? Um, and there's so many really really impressive athletes that are really really good at shorter distances, um, so I think it's cool to have a championship-style series for that kind of sub-discipline as well yeah it's it's funny how because i think that's like a, a a very american thing like if you go to europe i don't think they they split trail running and ultra running as much 
because of the race distances, there's like so varied. There's like 33 Ks and like 118 Ks and all this kind of stuff. So I wonder what that like, like why that is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably something to do with the fact that ultra running really started with things like Western states. Um, and that's, I don't know, I feel like that history just makes that kind of the marquee event. Um, and then that's that's what people associate with trail running now, just I think because it gets gets more coverage than like you know the broken arrow 26k but yeah it's it's i think it'll be really good for the sport too to have have those shorter distance championship style events as well yeah and it's cool to see like some of these newer races uh getting some love like i know i don't know how long quebec mega trail has been around but i know whistler alpine meadows 50k um that series uh put on by i believe gary robinson uh is relatively new um have you run up pike speak um i have been up it from the other side so i haven't been up the bar trail okay. but yes been up there and this is different from the pike speak marathon i assume um it's the so i think the event that's in the golden trail series is the pike's peak ascent um which is just the half marathon but it's it's associated it's you know same weekend i yeah. think okay um, but yeah that's always a fun race, just like aesthetically, like <laughs> running up a mountain and back down a mountain. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a cool one. Yeah, like Mountain Marathon in, in Alaska is like one of my favorite races to spectate. I think I might yeah. try and like get up there this year to, to, to watch um, just because it's like such a cool concept. Just starts in, in downtown and you run up a 3,000 foot mountain like right out of town and bomb back down. Yeah. Yeah, I love those style of courses where it's like not contrived at all and it's just determined by yeah, the terrain. It's like, okay, we're gonna run from Colorado Springs all the way to the top of the peak and back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's got a lot of appeal. Much more appeal than Barkley. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh most people feel that way. Um, yeah. Sweet. So before we get out of here, just looking forward, I think the next kinda bigger race at least um in the states is going to be uh, lake sonoma 50 um and the marathon which takes place on april 9th that i don't think it's uh, a golden ticket race anymore um but it still draws a really competitive field i was looking at um the the entrance today it's not an ultra sign up but you can find it on uh lake sonoma lake sonoma 50's like website uh really accessible Camille Heron signed up. So is Claire Gallagher, Casey Lichtig, uh Mike Foote, Logan Williams, Sarah Cummings. Uh, they're all going to toe the line at the 50. And then over on the marathon side, Olivia Amber, Patty O'Leary, Nick Handel, MK Sullivan, who we mentioned earlier, is, is running, as well as uh, Michaelino Sinceri. Now, I feel like sometimes like Sonoma has a reputation for like, attracting a ton of like really, really top-end talent and uh a lot of those folks don't end up actually racing. Uh, but I think I, I got a feeling it's, it's going to be slightly different this year. What another thing to note is that uh, the race took place because it was postponed last year slightly. So it took place in, I think September, I want to say. So, uh, you know, that's, it's like less than six months ago. Uh, so a lot of these folks will be really familiar with that course. Yeah. I think it's, it'll be good to have it back in its usual spot of the schedule. Cause I feel like that's another, race where it's like you get to see where everybody's at uh and it's yeah it'll it'll be cool 
it's always a fun one to watch. I got one more thing for you. Uh, have you been following uh, Killian's social media presence? I have. As yeah, of late? Kind of on and off. Not not super late, but yeah. Okay. I think, so for those that aren't haven't been following as closely as, as maybe I have, because I'm admittedly a, a Killian fanboy, uh, he left Solomon, his longtime sponsor, earlier, I think it was like earlier this year, maybe late last year, um, and has been pretty uh, mum on his next move, uh, but has been teasing a new quote-unquote project. And I was uh, on the old Instagram earlier today, and uh, he's been posting these pictures of himself running with like pixelated uh, areas around his feet and I, like just kind of teasing people. And I, I get it. Like you got to market. Right. Um, but he's making his announcement on the 23rd of, of you know, what his uh, next project is. So I'm, I'm curious to hear if you have any ideas about like what he's up to, where he's going, what's in the works. I mean, man, yeah. Fair enough on being a Killian fanboy. I'm definitely in the same boat. Uh, man, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see if he's just jumping ship to a different shoe company or if he's trying to start his own kind of trail shoe specifically for the kinds of things he does. Uh, I also, one of the things that Killian, you know, really pushes that I think is really cool is the sustainability angle on, you know, trail running but also more broadly and uh i think it could be really cool to see if he's you know incorporating that into his choice to leave solomon and you know either going to some other brand working with them to develop a more sustainable shoe or like setting off on his own to try and make um running gear more sustainable so you know total total shot in the dark but i that would be pretty cool if that is what he's up to yeah i agree i think if he's uh kind of shown us anything over his career is that he's like really thoughtful about what he does. Um, but I think that's, that's important with like a platform like his. So, uh, yeah, check his Instagram on uh, March 23rd and find out, I guess. Yep. Also one more note on Killian. I'm pretty psyched to see him and Francois face off at hard rock. That's going to be really cool. Yeah. We didn't even get into that. Yeah. Killian's race schedule is absurd. Uh, yeah. I think he's, he's doing the, the hard rock UTMB double, um, as well as some shorter stuff. So I think I'm, I'm excited to see where his fitness is at after a year of like not racing a ton of like longer distance stuff. I think I would, got to spectate at Hard Rock the first two years he was running it. He was crushing everyone, and he definitely was not trying that hard. So it'll be crazy to see what he can do on that course if he's in that kind of shape and has somebody like Francois who can, can push him. That's the so. thing. That's the yeah. thing. Like you need, you need someone uh, on your heels. I think yep. you, we could easily see a course record get dropped yeah. by like I don't know, an hour, two hours. Oh, Who knows? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. So that'll be a fun thing to watch. Sweet. Well, Gordon, thanks for uh, for kind of running through the news with me. Uh, let's get out of here. Yeah, sounds good. Talk to you next time. See ya. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Gordon for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everyone else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again real soon.